once a year we get to celebrate all of the mothers. Um, but every time I think of Mother's Day or it's approaching to Mother's Day, of course I think about my own mother. She gave me life. So all of the mamas out there that have naturally given birth to a child, of course, of course we applaud you because you know if it was up to men, the population would cease to exist. So in my opinion, you guys really are superheroes. Um, but I also think about mentors and moments of people that didn't give birth to me or women that didn't give birth to me that... Um, have impacted me in some way. Um, when I was growing up, uh, we didn't live in the best neighborhood, so I was able to travel across town to another school. And my best friend, we've been friends since one years old, and we still are really good friends, um, her mom really took good care of me, from cooking food to picking me up. And so she's not my natural mom, but I call her mama because she has had such an impact on my life. And I think oftentimes when we think of Mother's Day, we think of our moms that gave birth to us, but then we don't, re we don't remember to think about the people in our lives that have impacted us from mentors. I think about my spiritual mother. She didn't give birth to me naturally, but he, she has had such an impact on me um, in my adulthood. So I would like all of the women, whether you have a child or not, you have impacted someone in your life, you have touched a child or someone that you've come encountered with, and someone does see you as a mother figure, even if you don't have children. So let me have all the mamas, all the mentors, all of the women that have had impactful moments that has impacted someone in their lives to please stand, because we want to honor you. We are so grateful for you. And today we celebrate ourselves. <laughs> so if you are blessed that your mother is still alive or uh, the people that have, the women that have impacted you are still alive, just hug them tight because life is so fragile and it's so dear. And this is just another moment to just reflect on our past, our present, and our future and uh, appreciate the, the women in our lives. So love you guys. You may be seated. It's interesting because when I was younger, I was not one to hang around a lot of girls or women. It just wasn't my thing. I always thought that they were very catty and I wanted to stay away from those things. But as I get a little bit older, I realize um, part of what God wants to do is to help me to empower other women. And so I'm so grateful for the gift that you guys have because like I said, y'all are really superheroes in my opinion with superpowers to do amazing things. So. We're going to get into the word. Y'all ready to do something holy? Yeah. All right. Praise the Lord. You don't really have a choice, so <laughs> praise him. So, <laughs> Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for the utterance that will come forth today, dear Father. Father, we know that utterance is greatly affected by the hearer, so we all come with ears to hear, dear Father. And not just to hear the word, Lord, but to um, cause transformation from our heads to our hearts to our feet. It does no good to come in to listen to a good message and then to leave these four walls and do nothing with it. So Father, we just ask you that as we receive the word this morning, that it will touch our hearts and move us into a place that we would go forth and do action, that it would forever alter our lives, dear Father. Satan, you should have took us out when you had the chance, but we're here now. So, Father, we're so grateful for your presence. We're thankful for the Holy Ghost, the teacher, dear Father. Lord, make my tongue as the pen of a ready writer, that as we go forth and we proclaim your word, dear Father, that lives would be changed. We give you all praise, all glory, all honor, in Jesus' name. And everyone that agreed said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. As I was preparing for this message, we were having a conversation because we 
we're doing the sermon series, um, WDJD, What Did Jesus Do? So we were talking about the different topics that we wanted to discuss, and I had mentioned to a pastor, I was like, yeah, the Lord kind of has been talking to me about this, and you know, that's so cool that you're going to be teaching on that. That is awesome. He's like, no, you going to teach on it, sis. <laughs> so now I've learned, <laughs> be very careful of telling my husband what the Lord has taught me or what he's been teaching me, because then I'm going to end up here. <laughs> But I'm grateful. So I was like, I bet I'll do that. And so um, I am a broadcast journalism major. That's what I graduated from uh, college with. And so like I told you guys, I'm from New York. And so when I moved to Arizona, they basically had to retrain me how to speak. Because I would say things like talk and coffee <laughs> and chocolates. And they're like, yeah, that's not going to fly here. So uh, me and my husband, he's from Philly. I'm from New York. So we do have a lingo. We know how to speak proper English. However, culture does take over <laughs> from time to time. So I was like, I bet I can do that. Praise the Lord. Let's get it. So here we stand. So if you will, let's go to Acts 1 and verse 3. And it says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we're going to touch a little bit. We have a little bit of reading to do. And then um, we're going to go to Mark 14 and we're going to read. Uh, we'll start with verse 32 out of the message is what I'm reading out of. We'll do verse 32 through 36. As I was reading this scripture in Acts 1-3, and it said, um, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, um, after his passion. So I've heard of the passion of the Christ. I've seen the movie. It's widely known by many. But I didn't really understand the intricacies of that. So I started going back down memory lane and kind of going into a history lesson to kind of understand exactly what he was referring to. So if we're at Mark 14, verse 32 in the message. It says, they came to an area called Gethsemane. Jesus told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him he sank into a pit of suffocating darkness. He told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. I know no one has ever been there before. Stay here and keep vigil with me. Going a little ahead, he fell to the ground and prayed for a way out. Papa, Father, you can, can't you? Get me out of this. Take this cup away from me. But please, not what I want. What do you want? Do we have the Living Bible translation? Can we pull it up in the Living Bible if we have it? If we don't, it's okay. We don't have it. Okay, I'm just going to read it. Um, I'm going to read it out of the Living Bible because I want you guys to see something. Uh, verse 33 says, He took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be filled with horror and uh, deepest distress. And he said to them, My soul is crushed by sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might never come. Father, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take away this cup from me, yet I want your will, not mine. 
This is one of the moments um, over Jesus's life that you really see a transparent, vulnerable, humanistic side of what he is grappling with about what's going to happen. Um, as he's growing up, as he's performing miracles, as he's doing all these different things, he very much references what's going to come in the future. Yet you really see him um, oftentimes as... Uh, untouchable because to everyone that he's talking to, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal to him. At least that's what's given off. And then in this moment, he is basically breaking down saying, I know that the hour is near and I am so crushed within my soul that I have to do this, that I rather just die. Not the way, Lord, that you said I'm going to die, but just take me now and let me die. And so I know that there's no one in this room that has ever been to the place that your, your soul has been so crushed, that you've been so despaired. Uh, life around you is so dark that you have had this feeling. And so ultimately he said, not what I want, but what you want. If it's a no, that's fine. I'm still going to walk this out. But if you can set me free <laughs> and I don't have to do this, I'm going to take that too. <laughs> And I think that is so um, telling to, as humans, some of the things and the trials and the things that we deal with um, when we go through struggles and um, different things in our life, trials and tribulations. Uh, we want to do what God has told us we want to do or we should do. Um, we believe in the purpose that God has placed on our life, but sometimes the different things that we go through, it doesn't seem to match up. Lord, if you've called me to this, why do I need to go through that? If you called me to this, why do I need to struggle with that? And so it's, it's, to me, very relatable. Let me put it that way. Jesus was very relatable in this moment for me to understand that he struggled with the same exact thing that we struggle with as humans. Um, so Mark 15, verse 17 through 20. And I'm going to hit this pretty quickly. And he clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed, and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, and put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. I'm going to skip down to verse 24. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. I just think that is um, insult to injury. It's one thing to beat me and mock me, talk bad about me in front of my face, but then you're going to take my clothes and cast lots and basically bet to see who's going to get it. I wish the Lord would have burned it up in fire right there while they were standing there. <laughs> Out of control. I'm glad I wasn't a part of the story. It would have been totally different, just so you know. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> Verse 25, and it was the third hour and they crucified him. And then we go down to verse 29, a little bit farther down, and it says, And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, though that destroyest the temple and buildest in, build it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Verse 34, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 35, and some of them that stood by when they heard it said, behold, he calleth Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, let alone, let us see whether Elijah will come down to take him or come to take him down. 
And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. So when we go back to Acts 1, 3, and we're talking about his passion, where it says, to whom also he showed himself alive with his passion by many infallible proofs. As I was researching, I said, this doesn't really make sense to me in terms of Jesus is calling this his passion. Um, yet when I watch all of the things that he was referring to, that doesn't seem like passion to me. That seems bad, like torment and torture. I don't understand. So as I was researching this word passion, I found that the root word for passion in the Latin is to suffer or to endure. When I read that, my entire perspective in terms of what passion is completely changed. I think in today's day and age, when we think of passion, we think of a sexual desire for another person. I'm passionate about my husband. Um, we think about... Um, strong, deep uh, emotion, you know, if you've ever heard of a crime of passion where somebody kills someone because they're so in love with them, or if I can't have you, no one can, which is creepy. Um, but we call that a crime of passion. Um, you know, it's cool in this day and age to be passionate. I'm passionate about my job, and I'm passionate about sports, and I'm passionate about cars. And, you know, you seem like uh, you're a very cool person. You're impressive. Like, wow, you're passionate about stuff? I want to be your friend. Um, that's really cool, but that is such a watered-down version of what that word really means. So when you read all of Jesus, uh, what Jesus has gone through, and then you hear that he says it was his passion to go through that, it's very clear to me that he was passionate about his purpose, and that caused him to be able to uh, handle the suffering and to endure with patience the suffering that was coming and what he ultimately went through. And so if you understand that... Um, one of the, it's really interesting because my husband and I, when we do spiritual guidance with people, particularly people that are first coming into the church, um, whether they've been saved for a while or they just got saved, I would say the number one question we get is, what is my purpose? What am I called to do? Uh, Lord, what does, or uh, pastor, what does the Lord want from me? Where should I start? Um, I know I'm called to greater, but I don't know exactly what that is. I think we could make a CD at this point with our response and just throw it at them because we talk about it so much of what that process looks like. But that really is the number one question we get when we uh, counsel with people. And if you understand that passion is to suffer, then you understand that uh, those who seek after passion, what you're doing is inadvertently seeking after pain. People say, if you want to find your purpose, find your passion, because your uh, passion will lead you to your purpose. Um, but with this newfound perspective that we have on what passion actually means, you understand, and I realize that ultimately what I'm asking is, what are you willing to suffer for? Don't tell me that you're passionate about your job or about um, God or your family, but you're not willing to put yourself on the line for it. Um, Turn to your neighbor really quickly and say, it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. <laughs> Turn to the other person next to you and say, it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. <laughs> what I started thinking about when I was going through all of this, I was thinking about our culture and society today. Um, and I'm going to pick on this culture because I'm a part of it, so I can do that, okay? <laughs> it's like when you have brothers and sisters, you can talk bad about them, but let someone else outside of the family say something bad. You're ready to go to war, right? So I can pick on this culture because I am um, a byproduct of it. I wanted to read a quote to you. 
by G. Mike, uh, G. Michael Hopf, I think is how you say it. Uh, he says, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. I'm going to say that one more time. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. And I love that... Uh, quote so much and it's something that my husband always says as well he says uh they don't make them like they used to he tells me that all the time when we're dealing with certain things they just don't make them like they used to like i could work so and so under the table they don't make them like they used to and when i think about today's culture i think about my parents and my grandparents generation and a lot of the things that they have to, had to face and i know that i nowhere came close to having to face the different things that they've had to face my parents are immigrants they came to america they had to work very very hard for everything that they had uh, they did their best to provide a life of comfort for myself and my siblings. And so I know a lot of the quote unquote hard times or suffering that I would have had to have gone through, my parents diligently tried to block those things from us, to protect us from it because they had to experience and go, go through that. Um, did the best that they could with the life that they have and I'm so grateful for them. I think one of the things that happens with that that's an issue is if you try to protect your child from struggling, hurt, hard times, always stepping in for them when something goes wrong, allowing them the ability to quit whenever they want to, when, when times get tough, I'm gonna just quit, I'll move on and do something else, you then ending up creating a uh, generation of weak men. And so we find ourselves in a place where uh, nobody wants to stick with anything anymore. I'm no longer obligated to uh, work things out with my coworker. I'll just quit and go find another job because I don't want to deal with difficult people because why should I have to? Um, and so we create this culture of weak men and we create a culture of, uh, you know, we're in good times. Everything's great. So the only thing that I could really think of that recently has been a place of hard times is COVID. That really, for me and my generation, is the only thing that I can think of with the exception of 9-11 that was a very difficult time for a lot of people across the board. I remember uh, Ariana was in school last year, our daughter, and um, she was in preschool. It was a very small school, and uh, we had gotten a text message in the daytime that one of the kids that she was, um, I guess, in his class that she was exposed to had tested positive for COVID. And so we're like, okay, we'll just keep her home tomorrow um, and we'll kind of play it out and see how things go. And then the next night we get another message um, in the student portal saying that her teacher that she was in close contact with had tested positive for COVID. So I'm like, man, she ain't going back to the school. <laughs> There's just too much going on for me. She's just not gonna go back to the school. So, um, you know, that night, we talked about it. We, they shut the school down, so she couldn't go back. They had to shut it down. They had to do different things to it. They were closed for like a good month or two. And so um, one of the things we had talked about that night is, you know, what, we would do, what would we do with her? But that night, <laughs> I went to sleep. I woke up, and I couldn't breathe. Now, this is just Satan, right? Because we got her tested. We spent eight hours at the testing place. She was negative, but it was required that everybody did that. But I was like, Corona, girl, is that you? Did you come to get me? <laughs> like, 
but this is, this is fear, right? This is a time of suffering. This is a time where in the news, everything that is purported is fear. Everything is negative. People are dying left and right. And it's not to make light of it because I know that people have lost loved ones and I do understand that it was a struggle. But for me, it was really the first time to ever experience some of the things that we've read in our history books or in our textbooks, you know, World War II, the Holocaust, World War I, the Great Depression, these types of things that affected our, nat- our nation on such a great scale. It wasn't just one family. It wasn't two family. It was the entire world that we're dealing with these different things. And, uh, you know, whatever you believe about COVID, more power to you. I love you. It doesn't matter if we agree or disagree. But there's one thing that no one cannot tell me. I really believe that what was killing folks was the fear of COVID. The fear of the unknown, of not having proper information. And as time has uh, progressed, we've kind of gotten more information about it. We're more educated. But to be uneducated, the fear of the unknown can kill you. And so when I think about a culture that has suffered in my generation, that really is the only thing that I can think of that we have reference to say we had to persevere through. We had to endure through. We had to deal with the lockdown and not having church and wearing masks in the grocery store and having a children home all day and having to homeschool them, dear God, can't wait till the school opens back up. And so this is something that we could all agree and um, relate to because we all were dealing with it. Um, So when I look at the two generations, that really is the only thing that I could see um, that really caused me to have to push, push through. So living in a generation where my parents did the best that they could, I don't really know what it looks like to endure or to suffer. I have to ask myself, what are you willing to suffer for? What are you so passionate about that you would put that cross on your back? And even if God told you, no, I'm not going to get you out of this. Even if God said, no, you're going to have to go through this. No, I'm not going to save you. You're going to have to use your faith and you're going to have to power through. What are you going to say? Okay, Lord, I will do that. Um, I think to myself, I'm willing to preach up here with food poisoning. Um, When we did the elephant in the bedroom, the honor (laughs) uh, message that my husband and I did together, I had food poisoning. Don't know where it came from. All Saturday night, I was up. And if you know anything about food poisoning, you know how it goes. So I'm literally up chucking before I come out on the stage. But I'm passionate about making sure that Satan doesn't think it's okay to steal marriages that Satan doesn't have a foothold, that I know that God told me that there were certain things that I had to say, that had I allowed Satan to take me out from that, that would have never been said. And I wouldn't have gotten the messages that I got after that sermon saying, thank you so much for being bold enough to share those things and to say those things because it has helped my marriage tremendously. I'm willing to be up here almost passing out from food poisoning to share those things with you. Um, I think about the attack of being in ministry. Anybody that is running to this pulpit to get under here, is hot the lights are hot you are on display everybody is watching your very uh, every move that you make and so anyone running up here you don't understand that um uh, ministry is a lifestyle and there is a lot that comes with that so i'm willing to uh, endure and suffer through the critique the attacks the uh talking bad about me and my family talking about that I'm just a pretty face, I'm not anointed, and no one wants to hear what I have to say, Um, and then turn around and smile in their face and say, yes, I'll help you pay your rent, even though I know you talk about me like I'm a dog. And so here I am, suffering through, knowing that if I don't agree to do it, and if I don't walk in love, I'm going to be the one that's punished. 
So don't sit here and tell me that you want to run to this pulpit because you have something to proclaim when you can't even go through a test. You can't have a testimony without a test, and you can't have a message without a mess. It just doesn't work like that. So if you're going to suffer for something, you need to figure it out. What am I passionate about, and what would I give my life not just for, but to? Everybody talks about how I, I give my life for my family and I give my life for my kids. But would you give your life to your kids? Would you give your life to your family? Will you do what it takes to sacrifice, to get to where you need to go, to where God has called you to do? It's much easier to lay in bed till 7 o'clock and not wake up at 4.30 and sermon prep, okay? I'm telling you not what I heard, but what I know. But waking up every day at 4.30 a.m. to get the sermon prep done before my little girl wakes up and starts driving me crazy all day, it's a sacrifice to know that this is what I have to do. So what are you willing to sacrifice the same way Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross, knowing that it was a no, you have to do this? Y'all be seated. We're just getting started, y'all. We're just getting started. In honor of Mother's Day, I was thinking about um, me being passionate about the promise of children. And when I was pregnant with Ariana, um, the girl is skinny, but she got these really long legs. They're so long, and I don't know where she gets them from because I don't have long legs. It must be from her dad. There you go. From her dad and her grandmother. And uh, being, you know, 36, 37 weeks pregnant and her butt and her legs, because you could see it on the sonogram, um, on the, you know, machine at the doctor's office, her butt and her legs rearranging my rib cage. And it's hard to breathe, you guys. It's hard to sit down. It's okay to lay down flat on the bed. And someone said, yes, girl. <laughs> Been there, done that. It's hard to breathe and it's hard to sit down. So knowing that I need to be at church because that's what I do in my heels. I'm at church, but I'm standing in the back just pacing up and down because I can't sit down because her legs are in my ribs and it hurts so bad. Um, I'm passionate about the fact that I, uh, she's five years old, so we're in a phase where she likes to um, test our inner gangster at the moment. <laughs> So I'm passionate about the fact that I'm not going to have her breaking into one of your homes when she's 20, so I'm going to beat her hide. <laughs> and she gets snatched up during praise and worship like she did today because she wasn't listening, but I'm passionate. And we're suffering, y'all, so someone said help. <laughs> Somebody said help, please. But I'm passionate about my child. I'm passionate to make sure that the things that I didn't get as a child that she gets. I'm passionate that she understands that you can't just quit and give up. Ariana will say things like, I'm just, uh, this is just too hard. I quit. No, sis. If I don't get to quit, you don't get to quit. I don't care how old you are. So you're going to problem solve. You're either going to try to figure it out by yourself for a little bit, and if you can't, then you come ask mom and papa for some help, and then we'll help you, but you're not going to quit. And so every day, you're going to make up your bed. Every single day, you're going to brush your teeth. You're going to learn to be consistent and be disciplined because these are the things that you need in life to be able to withstand, endure, and be patient under the suffering and the attack that comes. If you do not have these basic principles down in the natural, how do you think that you're going to get it in the supernatural? They both line up together. And so I'm passionate about those types of things. Um, but you're only passionate when it doesn't cost you anything. If we want to be 100%, that's what it is. If it doesn't cost you anything, if it doesn't hurt too bad, then you can be passionate about it. Um, I think about when I first got saved and I first started coming to the church. Uh, it was great. It was like no resistance, like 
growing at a very fast clip. Um, you know, praise the Lord. So I'm praising worship singing, and uh, it, it, was, it was awesome. And so I was like, wow, was like Christianity's like gumdrops and lollipops. Like, I'm here for it. I love this. And then as God started calling me deeper, I'm trying to make y'all laugh because this is a little tough. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> um, as God started calling me deeper, I started noticing that my relationships were affected. Um, you know, where people didn't want to, that were backing it up in the club with me, they were fine with that. Um, but when it was time to come to church on Sunday, they weren't trying to be about that. And so relationships started uh, dissipating. Issues with family started uh, arising. And I was like, what is this? Because I thought this was supposed to be fun. I thought this was supposed to be easy. Like, why is this happening? And the first thing we do, let's be honest, when we see something like that happen, we start binding and rebuking it in the name of Jesus. Ha! I bind and rebuke this. Ha! <laughs> Bring back so-and-so girl. Ha! <laughs> and it's like the first thing we do is we want to put it on, G- on uh, Satan because we think it's an, an attack of that nature that wherever we go, um, you know, those people are supposed to come with us. And if you notice, uh, Jesus in the garden, he went with all the disciples, but he only took three up with him to pray. Which means not everybody can go where you're going. And that really is a common part of suffering when it comes into moving into the things of God. Um, I don't care if you've been here for six months or if you've been here for three years, you know what I'm talking about. Um, You know, the relationships that were so near and dear to you, they're not that important to that other person the moment God gets in the picture. Uh, People start feeling threatened by your relationship with God, so you just don't hear from them anymore. Um, Even your family, mother, brother, sister, father, it doesn't matter. There's no discrimination. Uh, These things arise, and so as God calls, calls you deeper. It was okay for you to be passionate when everything was great, but the moment hardship came, all of a sudden, it's not worth it to you anymore. Um, So that's why I say you're only passionate about uh, when it doesn't cost you anything. Passion always follows commitment. Whatever you're not fully committed to, you can't be passionate about. And so I am not committed to what I am passionate about. I am passionate about what I'm committed to. People get that mixed up. It's in reverse. Um, What I'm committed to, that's what I'm passionate about. Commitment is always a precursor to passion. And so oftentimes people think that passion acts on its own. Um, You can just be passionate about certain things and not be committed to it. And then that's the discrepancy that often takes place. Um, In the midst of torment and torture, Jesus was still committed to his his purpose. He was so passionate about his purpose, and it was only because he was committed to seeing that all of humanity would be saved. And I know we've been talking a lot about Jesus, but the one thing that I did want to mention is, as a mother, I could not imagine seeing my son beat within an inch of his life. Um, I automatically put myself in Mary's shoes, and I think, dear God, lady, you couldn't catch a break. (laughs) You were uh, impregnated by an angel, pretty much, but you were engaged to a man who actually was a descendant from King David, so you know, he was doing good. (laughs) He was like, I got this guy right here, and he's awesome, and we're going to get married. And then God interjects into her plan and says, no, but there's something that I need you to do, Mary. 
Um, I need you to be a part of this plan. And if you say yes, then we'll make it happen. But I wonder in that moment when she said yes to the angel, I wonder if she knew all that would transpire in the future um, and what all was going to take place. So, you know, then... Thing, things break out in the hometown, so I have to move out, and um, I have to have my baby where there's no family. It's basically just me and my husband, um, which is supposed to be a joyous, momentous occasion. Um, is no longer that. You know, she lives in a small town, so I'm sure people were talking and there were chattering about the fact that she's pregnant, but she ain't married. None of us know anything about that. Um, <laughs> and so she has kind of suffered all the way through this process, but has still been committed to the purpose of what God has asked her to do. And here she sits at this pinnacle moment of her uh, son's life. He's been talking about it. He's been sharing bits and pieces. And so now here she is as a mother. And I think about myself as a mom and my daughter, and I'm just like, thank you, Jesus, for not, or thank you, God, for not asking me to do that because I am Christ-like. I'm not Christ. So I'm probably most likely not going to be able to do that. Like, I'm not going to be able to give my one and only child for what you're trying to do. So um, I'm so grateful that uh, God asked Mary and not me, because I couldn't imagine as a mom watching uh, Jesus go through all that he went through. And it's one thing to have... uh, you know, priests and scribes and different people prevent you from interjecting or helping. It's another thing for your own son to tell you, mom, I have to do this. And so as a uh, natural mama bear, we want to protect. That's what we want to do. I want to protect my child. I want to protect them from the hurt. And I want to protect them from uh, all the bad in the world. And I just want to keep them snuggled up here. But what do you do when you realize that your child has said, Mom, I have to do this? And you're either going to play a part in the purpose of what is to come, or you're going to have to get out the way. So I couldn't imagine sitting there helpless, thinking to myself, Dear God, what did I say yes to? Like, I really said yes to being a part of a plan to kill my own son. If I could take it all back, would I? The lashes and the stripes, the tormenting, the mocking, the insults, the uh, just unfat. I can't even think about it. it. It brings me to tears to think about my child going through something like that. But I'm so glad we have a savior, y'all that would never ask something of uh, a human like us at this point in time to do something like that, that he knows our limitations and he knew that he could ask this one person and that she would most likely say yes and that we all could sit in this room here freely listening to the gospel. I'm so grateful that there was a man that said, yes, I would do that. I will step out in purpose and as bad as I'm going to suffer, I'm going to do it because I think about every single lash he took, the purpose that he thought. I'm going to take this lash because I know one day Shana will be saved and she'll be proclaiming my word to my people. I'll take this spit to my face and I'll take the the thorn of crowns on my head because one day uh, my child Jean would have a word for people that I need them to get to a certain place. I'll take this stripe on my back because I know that there are people that need to be saved and they can't do it on their own because if they were going to, Adam would have handled it, but he didn't. I'm so grateful for a God that would step out and do something like that for us. Hallelujah. When you disconnect from your commitment, you disconnect from your passion. Let's go to Matthew 16, um, verse 24. We're going to read out of the message. 
It says, Then Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it was now necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of the religious leaders, and be killed. And then, we're going to stop right there. There should always be an and then connected to your suffering. You should not suffer in vain. There should always be an and then or a but. Suffering should be connected to glory. Suffering should be connected to the other side of heaven. Suffering should be connected to coming to the fruition of your purpose and what God has called you to. There should not be an end, per se, to suffering. There should always be an and then. I'm going to um, deal with this unfavorable report that I got from uh, the doctors, but and then I'm going to be healed. And then I'll be able to share those things with other people that might not have been strong enough to get through it the way I was. And I'll help strengthen thy brethren. I'm going to suffer through this marriage. And then we're going to be a message for younger folk to understand how to handle and be honorable with your uh, marriage. I'm going to struggle. And I'm going to sit here while my child is strung out on drugs or alcohol. And they're dealing with this and that and homosexuality. And then when we get through all of this... Then we're going to be on the other side of glory. And so you have to know that your suffering should always have an and then. If you are unable to see the end of your suffering, your trial, and your tribulation, something is wrong. There should always be an and then, a suddenly moment that you are able to be revealed and understand what is to come. Just the way Jesus was. He said, I have to endure this uh, suffering at the hands of the religious leaders. Be killed and then... The and then is what keeps me waking up in the morning. The and then, when my back is up against the wall in that corner, the only thing that keeps me fighting is the and then, because I know that there's glory on the other side. The and then is what keeps me pushing through when my body is ricked with pain and I'm sick, but I still know that I have to perform, that there are things that still need to get done, that there are people counting and believing on us to do what we need to do. It's the and then that I think about that keeps things into perspective to me to push through all of the suffering that I'm currently dealing with. Like I said, people want a testimony without a test, and they want a message without a mess. And you help explain to me how that works. I realize that there will always be pain associated with purpose. And then, back to the scripture, on the third day be raised up alive. Peter took him in hand, protesting, impossible, master. That can never be. You better be careful of short-sighted people that want to prevent you from pain, but what they're really doing is blocking you from your purpose. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You not know the eternal things of God. For you to sit here and try to uh, block the pain, prevent the pain, prevent all that needs to happen, prevent the suffering, you really are a stumbling block to me. You're not trying to help me. Because there's some place I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to get to the other side, but I realize I can't get to the other side until I walk this suffering out. I realize that it's a necessary for me to suffer and to hurt and to be in pain because I'm going somewhere. So I need you to get all, yeah, and I know y'all can think of them. You know they're coming to your mind right now who those people are. Come on, don't punk out. Tell them you got to move. Turn to your neighbor say, you got to move. You got to move. You got to get out my way. Verse 23 said, but Jesus didn't swerve. 
Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. Jesus suffered with purpose and intent. And I want to submit to you today that suffering is a choice. And it is very much in your ability to choose to suffer. And I know that sounds crazy, so let me give you some scripture to prove it. Let's go to uh, John 10, 18, and we'll do it in the King James. Hallelujah, God is good. This is, what, what color is this, you guys? Is this red? So who's speaking? Okay. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. He says, I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. To me, that sounds like a choice, that he can choose to either lay it down or he can choose to pick it up, that no one has taken it from him. He's not a, uh, a prisoner to the pain. He's not a prisoner to the suffering, but it is very much a conscious decision that he has made to intentionally walk in suffering to get to his purpose. I remember when um, I had just about, I think I graduated or was just about to graduate um, college, and I was working at a radio station, and I had initially went into um, school for broadcast journalism, but then I decided that I really liked uh, radio and sports journalism and different things like that. I've played sports pretty much my whole life, and so um, I was moving in the things of God, and I know that things were changing, but I didn't know the specifics, and so I was at a crossroads with um, accepting a job that was a very good job and a very good stepping stone to ultimately where I was trying to go, my own plan, because it was so good, you guys. It was such a good plan. I had it all planned out. I was going to go to uh, work at this radio station. Then I was going to get into sports journalism and broadcasting. I was going to move back to New York and live in the city in a high rise. It was a good plan. It was a really good plan. And I think I was like 23 at the time. And um, there was just something that I was unable to shake uh, where I, my, my flesh and in the natural, I was thinking, yes, I think this is what I want to do. I think this is the right move. But there was something deep down in my spirit that I just could not shake to the point where I couldn't sleep. Um, it was hard to eat. And at that moment, I'm young in the Lord, okay, so don't judge me. I was young in Christ, but I should have known at that moment that that's not what I was supposed to be doing. So um, I had met with my pastor and he's like, you know, it's really up to you. I don't, if you're feeling it in your spirit that you're not supposed to do it, you shouldn't do it. And um, it took me a while to come to the conclusion myself that that's really what I was not going to do. I had to grapple with a lot of, um, I think, realities to think that your plan, that you have planned all your life, that you have, uh, you know, boards in your room of what that plan is going to look like and your parents write down, this is what you'll do and this is the road we're going to take to get here to success. And uh, to realize that that was all unraveling was very difficult for me. So I think for me, I probably caused my own issue by not just submitting to God's will initially. Um, so I'm a reformed hardhead, if you will. <laughs> And they say a hard head makes for a soft behind. <laughs> so I kind of had to learn the hard way. But it was a choice for me to realize that I was going to walk away from all that I knew and to walk into a place of unknown. 
Never had I had an idea that I would be here today, but I did know that God had called me to something deeper. I just didn't know exactly what that was. But that was a moment where I had to choose, was I going to suffer in disobedience? Or was I going to take the, um, I'm not going to say the easier route, I'm going to say the route with the most benefits and suffer for God. And so what I want to do really quickly is just talk about the difference between suffering for God's purpose and suffering in disobedience. Um, Because I don't want everyone sitting here today to think that everything that you're going through is because it's for God's purpose or the purpose he has on your life, because that very well may not be the case. And I don't want you to be praying and believing uh, for something concerning God when it's Satan. So when it comes to suffering for God's purpose, um, you obviously know that it needs to line up with the word of God. And that's the first place you need to go is to the Bible to read and see what he says. You are on speaking terms with the Lord. And so if you ask, he'll tell you. And I would, I would uh, submit to you that nine times out of 10, deep down inside, we really know if it is or it isn't, but we just don't want to deal with it. Um, you know, I'm not going to suffer in vain Um, I'm not putting myself on clearance for anyone and I will not discount myself. So if I'm in a relationship with someone that I know I'm not supposed to be yoked to, you are suffering in disobedience and is suffering in vain. I'm just going to keep it a hundred percent. If you are in a relationship and you are shacked up, you and things are going wrong. Your finances are going South. Your health is going South. Uh, your kids are acting crazy. You are not suffering for God's purpose. You are suffering in disobedience because the Bible clearly says that you should be married before you shack up. I'm not going to be in a relationship in a marriage that I know that I should never have been yoked to that person and just think that it's all going to work out. There's no end to that suffering. And so you have to understand that there is a suffering in vain and then there's a suffering for God's purpose. Go to the word. That is the biggest piece of advice that I could give you. Go to the word and see what the Lord says about it. That is the deciding factor to say, Lord, am I really suffering for your purpose? Is this the road that I'm supposed to be on? For uh, one of the prayers that I know my husband and I, we pray quite often is, um, and you probably have to help me with the verbiage, but for the age that I am, am I where I'm supposed to be? For what you've called me for, God, whether I know the totality of it or not, for my age and what you called me to, am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I on the right track? Um, And that'll always be a telltale sign for you. And if you just go to the word and you just ask Jesus, Lord, what is this? What is this that I'm struggling and dealing with? I've been shacked up for 10 years, Lord. What is this? (laughs) And then he'll say, Mary, did you know (laughs) that you're not supposed to be shacked up? You pastored and preached it the last 10 messages. (laughs) And then you have people that come, why he always got to preach the same thing every time I'm there? Because you there. The Lord is trying to speak directly to you. (laughs) I'm not going to be passionate and suffer about anything that doesn't have Jesus at the forefront of it. It costs too much to suffer in disobedience. Dear God, have you ever been in disobedience to what God has asked you to do and the repercussions were just like, Lord, this was unnecessary. I didn't need to go through this. Dear God, I could have been so much further along. I didn't have to struggle like this. I didn't have to suffer like this. I didn't have to go through these things. I didn't have to have Satan steal my finances and my family and my job and my home and my relationships. I didn't have to go through that. But just know that when you're in disobedience, this is not God putting suffering on you or uh, uh, he's not trying to teach you a lesson through suffering in terms of disobedience. 
That is you opening the door to Satan and giving him an in. And we are children of authority, and you have the authority to tell Satan, no, you have to go, but you also have to be doing what God told you to do. Was that okay, Pastor? I'm not sure. Happy Mother's Day! <laughs> Where were we at? Good job, Hallelujah. Praise him. Um... I ain't even quite sure where this is. Praise God. Where are we at? John 10, 18. Hallelujah. Um, there are four ways that a diamond is formed. I don't have all the, um, I don't have time to get into all of that, but there are four ways that a diamond is formed. You know, diamond is a precious gem. Um, all of them include an immense amount of pressure from asteroids and all kinds of stuff hitting it to it be deep, being under um, an immense amount of heat um, in the mantle of the earth, all kinds of different ways. It, one thing in common, when that comes out, that has went through an immense amount of pressure and suffering to become this precious stone that people will play, pay thousands and thousands and sometimes millions for. So when you look at the diamond, when you look at Jesus and when, what he went through, why do you think that you should be subject to not have to go through any level of suffering? It's uh, contrary to his word. It's not biblical to think that there will never be hard times, that you won't ever have to go through things, even if you're going in the right direction. People often think, if I'm going in the right direction and I'm doing what God has called me to do, why am I suffering? I must be doing something wrong. And I want to submit to you, you're not doing anything wrong. You are right where you're supposed to be. James 1.4, I know you guys don't have the Living Bible. You can just pull it up in the King James. And um, I'll read the King James first. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And in the Living Bible, it says, so let it grow, and don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. Don't try to get out of your suffering prematurely. And I'm going to also submit to you, don't be ashamed of your suffering. This is something that has set me so free, I can't even begin to uh, tell you. When we go through suffering and hard times, we oftentimes think that there's something wrong with us. We think that we did something wrong, like we just spoke about. And so we keep it quiet. We won't tell anyone that we're going through things. Now, if they are very keen in the spirit, they can pick it up without you saying a word that you're struggling, but we won't oftentimes articulate these things to different people. But how many of you know that when you're going through tough times, it's important for the right people, not the wrong people, you can't go around telling everybody, it's important for the right people, your spiritual leaders, uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ that you're very close to that are either mature like you or more mature than you to share these things because they can be believing with you. And people sometimes are so ashamed of the suffering and the things that they're going through because they think that they did something wrong. You don't know if your story will touch somebody and forever change and alter their life. How do you not know that what you're going through is not for the specific reason for you to have that conversation with that person to say, hey, I'm going through some things too, or I've been through some things. And look how God has delivered me. You are a walking testimony and a walking message to all of your brothers and sisters in Christ and those that are not saved to share and proclaim those things with them so that they would too know 
you have been through it, you have got through it. If God did it for you, he can do it for me. If he did it before, he can do it again. And so to understand, don't be ashamed of your suffering. Know that you have to go through that. Don't score them out of your problems. Uh, Dad likes to say, don't, um, don't try to leave the pan of suffering. He calls it a pan. You need to sit in the pan and just kind of shake a little bit more. But uh, don't squirm out of your problems. Don't try to rush because there's a perfect work that needs to be done. There's a full blooming that needs to take place. There is character that needs to be built in you. You will never get to where God wants you to go if you don't build up your character. Your your, uh, gift can take you but so far, but your character needs to keep you in that door. Where the gift makes room for you, your character will also have to keep you there. So if you are unable to get your character where it needs to be through these sufferings, through these trials, through these tribulations, you'll never get to your purpose. There are no shortcuts with God. You'll have to go through things to get to your purpose. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but no one really wants to die. We all rally around the cry of, I'll do anything for the Lord. Man till that attack comes. It's like, Lord, is this you? (laughs) I don't think this is the Lord. Let me pray to get out of this one. No, it's the Lord, and you're going in the right direction. In Mark 14, back at the beginning in the garden, um, can we pull that up really quickly? This is Mark 14, 32 through 36. In Mark 14, we see Jesus go from a moment of sorrow and doubt to commitment. Um, He asked God to save him. He said, Lord, I'm in deep despair. I want to die. If it is at all possible, can you take this cup from me? He wants to be rescued by God. He wants God to figure out a different way to get it done. Sometimes the answer is just plain out no. Sometimes the answer is, it's necessary for you to suffer, my child, for what I've called you to do. If you don't suffer and go through these tests, you won't be able to perform in your purpose like I need you to. Some of you need to reignite your passion for God. You've become stuck. Um, You're not even coasting anymore. You're at a place where uh, the things of God are just not as precious as they once were. And... It probably is because you weren't willing to suffer or you didn't understand that to be passionate means to suffer and to have passion, you need passion in order to get to your purpose. You need something that is going to uh, keep you at a place where you can endure and you can sit and be patient even though it doesn't feel good. Um, There is resistance that comes from following God. I don't want you to be fooled to think that when you move with God that there'll be no resistance because the truth of the matter is if you are, uh, if there is no attack, I would be concerned. In other words, if there's no attack from Satan, you probably running with him. It's when you're running against him and you're running for God that the attack comes. And so Jesus went from a moment of crying to becoming fully committed and continue to keep his eye on purpose. He said, your will, God, not mine. I'm going to wipe these tears. I'm going to pick my bootstraps up. I'm going to get up. And I'm going to go from weeping to walking. I'm going to walk in the suffering. I'm going to be passionate about what you called me to do. I'm going to endure under the pressure. 
I'm going to continue to go after the things of God because I know what you've called me to do. And I know that it may not feel good and it may not look right at the moment. And I ain't quite sure that I'm making every decision the way I'm supposed to. I don't know sometimes. I'm kind of wavering. Is this the right thing to do? Is it not? Am I in your purpose? Am I not in your purpose? But one thing is for sure, I'm going to keep going after you, God. And I don't care what the suffering looks like. I don't care what I have to go through. I don't care what relationships I lose. I don't care who, who wants to be around me. or does. Listen, if you want to go with me, come on, let's go. But if you don't want to go with me, I tell you like this, deuces, because I'm going after God. I'm going after the things that he's called me to do. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to walk this out radically for the call that's on my life. Because I know that there's heaven on the other side. Glory to God. If there's one thing that Jesus never forgot was that there was glory on the other side. The moment he gave up the ghost on that cross, the suffering was over. It was completely over. He still had work to do, yes. But the suffering, it was done. He said, paid in full. Passion should be the fire that drives you to your purpose. Ooh, glory to God. I feel the anointing right there. I heard the Lord saying that your second wind is right around the corner. There are some of you that have been walking this uh, call out, walking with the Lord, and you've gotten tired. You've gotten tired, and you've kind of sat and taken a break. There are no breaks with God. We have to use our faith every day to believe him for the things that we need to believe him for. But just like in a race, there's a moment, if you run track or uh, you know, even, even in a long day, there is a moment where you're exhausted and you're tired and you wanna just stop and you wanna rest and you want to uh, you know, take a nap or whatever it is that you wanna do. And there's a moment where a second wind comes where you kind of are dragging and you got your head down and then the second wind comes and you're like, whoo, I feel it right there. Hallelujah. I feel it right there. There is a second wind that is coming for some of you that need to reignite that passion in, in Jesus. The second wind is coming. It's right around the corner. You need to endure. You need to be patient. You need to walk in peace. You need to walk in joy because that's a telltale sign that you're in faith for whatever it is that God has called you to do. Um, this is how we fight our battles. This is how winning is done. It's a phrase that my, me and my husband, we, we're in a season of uh, dealing with some different things, and we know that it will all eventually be for the glory of God, but we were sharing some things and talking about some things, and he made a comment that has just stuck with me, and he said, it's either we're going to do it or we're not going to do it. It's kill or be killed, and it's that serious to me. It's either we are going to go after the things of God we're going to defy Satan and everything that he says. We're going to tell him, no, you can't have what it is that you think you can have. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't want to get to heaven and God say, Shana, you were right there on the other side of glory. All the suffering that you went through, all the trauma, all the torment, all the things you had to deal with, it was all for a purpose. And you quit right before the glory was coming. And I submit to you all today that it is time to get that second wind and to continue moving in your passion, to know that suffering will come and it's okay. There will be hard times. There will be lean times, but we need to now be a generation and an example for the world to know that great times don't create weak men. Great times create even stronger men. 
because we know that there is a cycle out there that is allowing Satan to steal from us. And we cannot continue to keep our eye on Satan. We have to continue to keep our eye on the purpose. And the only way you can keep your eye on the purpose that God has foreordained for you is to continue in the passion and to deal with the pain just like Jesus did. So I submit to you today to pick up your cross. Pick up your cross just like Jesus did. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. So if you're serious about the things of God, if you're moving in the things of God, pick up the cross and know that this is unnecessary for us to suffer. But on the other side, glory to God. There's glory. And there's a fulfillment of what God has called you to do. Hallelujah. 59, 60, I'm done. I made it in an hour. I got it in an hour. We're going to crash land this puppy, but we got there. Hallelujah. Glory. Pastor.